When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever it is you get your podcast. Today, we got to go through my week eight top 25 rankings, see what they look like compared to the Associated Press top 25 rankings. Take a look at my top five contenders for the Heisman Trophy after an enormously and historic college football day on Saturday. But first, I want to talk about what was an outstanding game for the West Coast. We saw USC undefeated go into a sold-out Rice-Eccles to play the Utah Utes, and we got one to remember. This is the best game the Pac-12 has played all season, and it came down to Cam Rising leading the Utes on a 15-play, 75-yard game-winning drive where he scored a touchdown and... Came up with a go-ahead two-point conversion with 48 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That ended up being just enough to hold off the USC Trojans 43-42. to If you are Lincoln Riley and you're Caleb Williams off the top, you felt like you had an opportunity to win this game late. You got the ball back 48 seconds, which is more than enough time for that offense to get down the field. And the Utah Utes bowed their back. USC didn't even get past the 50. That was outstanding play when they needed it at Rice Eccles in front of their sold-out crowd. Some superlatives to hand out here. Cam Rising, 30 of 44, or excuse me, 30. Yeah, 30 of 44, 415 pass yards, two TDs. Also had 11 carries for 60 yards, three tutties. This is a man who had really flashed his ability to run around and make plays last year as the Utah Utes won the Pac-12 championship. But also this year's getting a lot of NFL hype first round buzz that I think is warranted with the kind of play that he has displayed through this first half of the season. Tight end Dalton Kincaid answered the bell. He had 16 catches for 234 yards and a TD. Best receiving performance that I think we've seen out of the Pac-12 or a Pac-12 player in some time. And frankly, rivaled that of Jalen Hyatt at Tennessee earlier in the day. He had six catches for 207 yards, five of those for touchdowns, which is ridiculous. But also for Don Kincaid, this is an enormous day as they were without, have been without Brant Keithy, who many thought was as good a tight end as Don Kincaid. So teams were going to focus on Kincaid a little bit more than they might have usually. And again, 16 catches, 234 yards against an Alex Grinch defense with a TD. That's pretty outstanding. This also is the first loss for the USC Trojans of the Lincoln-Riley era. So there are going to be questions about how the Trojans answer the bell going forward. They still have a lot to play for, and I'm sure Lincoln-Riley 
said this in the post-game press conference because it's within his rights. He and most of the staff had experienced this kind of a loss at this stage in the season at Oklahoma. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that you can come to count on with them at Oklahoma. They would suffer a loss to somebody that was good, might not be as good, probably would come in October. They would get themselves together, and then they would go on a run in November straight toward a conference championship and perhaps a college football playoff selection. That's still in front of USC. Now, they need some help right now to try to get into the Pac-12 championship, but it feels like that's within their reach as UCLA and Oregon are going to play for week eight. I'm going to see if UCLA is still that team that we think they are, which is to say if they beat Oregon, they remain undefeated and perhaps are the Pac-12's only hope of getting a team into the college football playoff for the first time since Washington did in 2017. It's a league that just cannibalizes itself. It's the way that the league is structured, but you are thinking that perhaps with the removing of divisions that you give at least one of those teams a better opportunity to get into the playoff if something drastic happens in the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, ACC, right? The teams that usually make sure that the Pac-12 gets left out. Five power conference teams in a 14 playoff. So grateful that we're expanding the playoff. Another thing to keep an eye on here is Caleb Williams did not play badly, okay? 25-42 in this game for 381 pass yards, five TDs. That's Heisman-level stuff. It just didn't go for him when he needed that Heisman moment at the end. And frankly, all of the dudes that I'm going to talk to you about a little bit later in the show can absolutely play some football. It's what you do in winning time that separates you in when we're talking about winning the Heisman Trophy. As an example here, going into the 2018 season, we thought for the first 13, 14 weeks of the season, I should say 11, 12 weeks of the season, that Tua Tagovailoa was going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. And then in winning time, Kyler Murray pulled out a vintage performance in the Big 12 championship game when Oklahoma needed it most, and he walked away with the Heisman Trophy. That's still there, right? He can still have a Heisman moment, but it would have been nice for him to have it against the Utah Utes, against a sold-out crowd, one that had been circled on the calendar by myself, by Utah Utes fans, and frankly by Caleb Williams, who admitted saying, hey, this is the game for which we were going to be measured. This is also the first-ranked opponent that they got to play and on the road we all want to see what Lincoln Riley might do against the defending Pac-12 champs and the defending Pac-12 champs answered the bell. Now, there is a question as to whether or not USC is at full strength for the, most of this game or all of this game, whether or not they could have won it. They lost Eric Gentry, who's their best defender, and Jordan Addison, who's arguably their best wide receiver, to injuries. We're taping this on Sunday to come out on Monday morning. So if news comes out about Gentry and Addison, know that that's going into our thinking. But as we know right now, Riley was playing coy about what those injuries were and how much they would impact them going into the season. But it's enough to say that Addison was on crutches on the sideline as the game was finishing up. So I mentioned UCLA could be the only undefeated team left if they get past Oregon in Austin, I might add, in Eugene. And they are their best taupe in the Pac-12 to get into the playoff. I'm not even sure that, that would, that's going to do it, guys. Like, I'm really not. Because you're talking about UCLA would have to be undefeated. If Texas Christian remains undefeated, Clemson remains undefeated, you're going to have the Big Ten champion get in. We think it's going to be Ohio State or Michigan, although Illinois has been thumbing its nose at me, you know, if for no other reason then we can't count them out. We know that the SEC is going to get at least one team, if not two teams, though this doesn't feel like a two-team year. There's a lot to play for. So UCLA can do its job take care of business, and then we'll see what it looks like by the time the college football playoff selection rankings first come out 
the first week of November. I believe it's November 1st, which is the same day that I have a book dropping. Yes, that's a book plug for me. Please buy it wherever books are sold. All right. One thing I want to take it out on here is I watched this game after we did our live show. And I watched this game go back and forth. And it felt like USC had opportunities to run away with this game. I mean, they're up 21-7 in a game. I thought they were going to blow out Utah in. There's report on the sideline of Kyle Whittingham going up to his defensive line and then the defensive unit and saying, if that's all you got, it's going to be a long night tonight, guys. And he pulled all but like two players and put the backups in for the next series. That's how serious he was about it. And those men answered the bell. And they answered the bell on a night when they needed to, when their hearts were quite literally in their heads and on their sleeves in a sold-out stadium where they are absolutely playing for the memory of their teammates. You'll notice that Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan's faces were hand-painted on the helmets for the Utah Utes in this game. They both wore the number 22 jersey. They were both very good friends. They both from Texas, and they both died within a year of each other. Now, it is not It goes without saying that our hearts go out to Utah and those families of Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe. But for the Utah Utes to put those players front and center after experiencing that tragedy with them and their families and to make sure that it was for a game that absolutely mattered, not just to them, but to the nation, to show what they're made of for players that didn't get to play, for players that they love, that, that that moved me. I did not expect to see that. And I was pulling for Utah. I was, you know. And in going down 21-7, I'm going, guys, you got their helmet on. You, th- this, is, this is their game. And they came through. Cam Rising came through. They got that two-point conversion. They stood tall defensively. For a couple of men that love playing college football and got to play it at the University of Utah, That's why I love this sport, man. It's why it's better than any other football sport. It's better than the NFL. It's better than high school. You get five years to play four. You get to see men. You get to see boys become men. You get to see them get married. You get to see them fall in love. You get to see them get their first jobs. I really, really love this. For them, and I love this for us, because there's so much that we can discuss, and we're going to discuss, and we're going to disagree about, but my goodness, Utah, bravo, thank you for loving those boys, thank you for loving their families, thank you for putting on for us that love this sport. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, I'm going to do a bad segue from that to my week eight top 25 rankings that 
just don't seem to matter in comparison, but we're going to talk through it anyway. So moving and shaking in my rankings, as there has to be, because we had some outstanding ranked matchups that featured undefeated teams that I was so excited to see. Now, I kept Ohio State at number one. I think it's the best team in the country. I think they've got the best player in the country. We'll talk about that a little bit better, uh, a little bit later. I think their defense is stout. Georgia has done nothing really to make me believe that they're not one of the two best teams in the country, though I have thought about it. That's a, that's a nod toward Michigan more than it is toward Georgia. They beat Vanderbilt 55-0. to zero. Now, it's Vandy, and I get the Vandy jokes, but holding people to goose eggs is something I still hold in, you know, great esteem as my team was held to a goose egg. Talk about that a little bit later, too. But putting up 55 on Vandy, surrendering nothing, you get to keep your two spot. Michigan had a statement game against an undefeated Penn State team at Michigan Stadium on the day that they had christened the Lloyd Carr Tunnel. And then Penn State chose to pick a fight with Michigan in the Lloyd Carr Tunnel. And that just hasn't ended well for the last couple of teams that, you know, went in there as ranked teams, expected to do something. Now Michigan takes it personal. They come out in the second half and they go and they beat your head in because that's exactly what Michigan did in this game. It was at one point 17 to 16 Michigan, no, 17 to 16 Penn State, and then Michigan poured it on in the second half to win this game 41 to 17. Very, very impressed by what I saw, not just offensively, but defensively. The defensive line is where I thought they would see the most loss after losing David Ajabo and then losing Aiden Hutchinson. Like, who else you got left? They said, we got Mike Morris. We got a we got we got a three hundred pound man that we can line up a stand up foot nine technique and we can go get the quarterback. We've got guys on the outside that can lock down your best wide receivers and we're not going to let you run the football. Meanwhile, offensively, we're going to run it on anybody we want to, anytime we want to. I doubt it they could do it against Iowa. They did it against Iowa. I doubt it they could do it against Penn State. They did it against Penn State. Michigan, one of the three best teams in college football for me. And then at number four. It seems simple, but I had a moment where I was trying to overthink it. And shout out to producer Tyler's like, nah, man, Tennessee's a four. It's fine. No, nobody, nobody's going to get upset about that after what they did against Alabama in Knoxville. A historic win, 52 to 49. Their first win against Alabama in 16 years. Their first win against Nick Saban at Alabama. And Josh Heupel would say, hey, I've beaten Nick Saban twice, guys. He did it 2013 with Trevor Knight at quarterback, but this is all about Hendon Hooker and really his relationship with Jalen Hyatt. I'm going to talk a bit about Hendon Hooker, but right now I just want to say, hey, Hyatt Place, get this man a name, image, and likeness deal. He had six receptions for 200 yards. He had five TDs. They lined him up against Josh Hellum, and he kept eating him up. It was just they saw the matchup, and they said, no, 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 you're just not going to get up off of this. So every time we got the one-on-one, I'm going to say that Jalen Hyatt is going to go by you and we're going to get six. And that's what happened. Now, it got hairy toward the end. Hendon Hooker fumbles a handoff that I think he was trying to pull on a mesh read. Dallas Turner picks it up, runs it back in. Will Reichert had an opportunity to try to put Alabama ahead. Came up just a little short. Set up right here what Chase McGrath is about to do. Between the uprights. Like, I just... I'm looking at this game, and everybody that I know is in, like, we're on a Zoom. We're watching it. I got Tyler in one corner. I got Jeremy Benbow, who's running camera by, uh, in front of me. 
and everybody's white knuckling this about what is this kicker going to do? Because I'm expecting Nick Saban to call a timeout here, try to ice the kicker. And there's just all of these different scenarios. And what's this man say? No, I got it. Fine. We're going to beat Alabama. We're going to beat Alabama for the first time since I was two. And we're going to celebrate like only we could celebrate in Rocky Top. Now, there's lots of videos going around. There's some outstanding social out there for those of you that want to partake. But I want to focus right quick on Peyton Manning next to, I believe, Jalen Hyatt smoking a cigar. And then we saw more cigars being smoked by Tennessee fans. And I believe there's even video of the University of Tennessee president smoking a cigar. So if you are not of the SEC and of the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry, you probably don't know that Jim Gustry got tired of losing to Tennessee as an athletic trainer at Alabama when Bear Bryant was at Alabama. So in 1961, he made a bet with the players. He said, if you guys can end a six-year losing streak to the Tennessee Volunteers, I will stand on a table and dance naked. Well, they beat Tennessee 34-3. So there's actual photo at the Paul W. Bryant Museum of the man himself, Jim Gustry, dancing in his white boxers and shirtless smoking a cigar. So now you know why every third week in October, whether the game is in Tuscaloosa or Knoxville, there is a run on cigars and people bring them because you want to be the winning team that gets to smoke the cigar at the end. Now, my favorite part about that is on the times that, because they kept this tradition, that Gustry was on the losing end at Alabama. He had to return the cigars to get his money back because you had to get it like that. But this is outstanding. I'm glad that Peyton Manning was able to do this and take this photo with Jalen Hyatt because that's going to be one of those things that not just Hyatt remembers or even Peyton remembers, but that we remember because this game has been just one-sided since I was in high school, right? And now Tennessee is not just good. We have to seriously consider Tennessee playing for a national championship. They are, as I see it, the number four team in the country. Now, quickly, I put Oklahoma back in my top 25 and put them there at 25. As it was, I'm having a discussion with uh, my editor, Bob Harkins. Shout out, Bob Harkins. As we're going back and forth about who's 25, because we're getting to the time of year where we're running out of good teams. And by good teams, I mean teams with one loss, two losses, ranked wins, what have you. So I'm looking at Tulane, and I'm looking at Oklahoma. Tulane has a ranked win against Kansas State. Kansas State beat the hell out of Oklahoma. Okay, I get that. Oklahoma has a bad loss to Texas, but we all agree that Texas is good when Quinn Ewers is playing. And Oklahoma didn't have its starting quarterback or its starting tailback. There was no Dylan Grabule. There was no Eric Gray. Okay. I'm also going to throw in here that Tulane has a loss to Southern Miss. Now, as much as I love Southern Miss, I got an actual paper at the historical archives there that you can go visit and see because, well, my grandmommy was a big deal. My mother went to the University of Southern Mississippi. I was raised in Hattiesburg. But they three and three, dog. And I can't give Tulane credit for three and three losses to Southern Miss. However, they might be here next week. Oklahoma's coming up on a bye. It feels like Tulane is going to be charging toward the American Championship game, maybe against the Cincinnati, as they've gotten good wins, one against uh, Houston that I really enjoy. So it was right there. I chose to go with the team that had the ranked win today 
against Kansas that was absolutely outstanding and really showed what the offense was capable of when they got all their pieces and how important not just Dylan Gabriel is, but the position of quarterback, which I'm going to harp on here in just a little bit. USC falls to 12 for me. I think that that's fair. I was really having a hard time with them and Penn State. Just which one do you enjoy more? And you got to say that the way that USC had it there at the end and a chance to win it on the road, same sort of environment that Penn State was in, and then Penn State just didn't have anything in the second half. That was not the case with USC. Perhaps there's a conversation to be had around where Penn State might be, but I still think that's a good football team. They just went up against a buzzsaw to Abstin, Michigan. Okay, to the AP rankings right quick. We disagree on one and two. That's fine. Georgia, Ohio State. Perhaps that's the national championship game. I don't think anybody would be upset about that. Tennessee at three. Look at that. That's how big a win is for the Associated Press voters over Nick Saban in Alabama, even as Nick Saban in Alabama had shown signs that this was in the cards. From the moment that you escape 2019 against Texas, it's not that we think that Texas isn't that good. It's that, oh my, Alabama might not be that good. And it's not because they're not talented. They're clearly talented. They're just not as disciplined as they've been in years past with the penalties. And they had some really out, just unsaving like plays. Like there's a muff, not even a muff punt. We had a player touch a ball that he shouldn't touch that ends up going back to Tennessee on a punt return. And then Tennessee scores on that possession. That's, for me, the difference in the game. Things like that are the reason why I'm not really as high on Alabama as perhaps we should be. But clearly, there were a lot of voters that watched that game, and they're giving their flowers to Tennessee. Michigan at four, I don't really have a problem with. I mean, as I keep going down this, we're they put USC right where I put them. Basically identical with the exception of perhaps Tulane and Oklahoma, which I just talked about a little bit. But if we're judging my performance by the Associated Press performance, I'm fine with this. I really am. I am. I'm good with this because as far as I'm concerned, could be Tulane, could be Oklahoma. I chose to go with Oklahoma, being impressed by what I saw and taking into account what the team has looked like since then. And then with Tulane, I explained that. Don't want to spend too much time denigrating other teams because there's a lot of good football that's been played and it's been outstanding to watch. All right, let's talk about Heisman contenders. We are more than halfway through the season now as some teams have played seven games, some teams have played six. And now we have a really good understanding of just who's good and who's not. So we're going to go through my list, starting from number five and working up to number one. And at number five, I decided to go with Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. couple of reasons here as to why. It was him or Caleb Williams for me. I went with Bryce Young, A, Heisman winner, reigning Heisman winner, and B, he played what I think is a better football team in Tennessee. And he put up numbers against Tennessee, 35 of 52, 455, two TDs, no picks. And he showed just how important he is to the success of the Alabama offense. I am still extremely high on Jalen Milrow. I think that that dude could be Blake Sims 2.0. It's just going to take some time, okay? He got thrust into the A&M game before I thought that he was ready to play in that game, but had to, right? Quarterback to is your starting quarterback is injured. So Bryce Young comes back. We see what the offense is capable of. It's clear that they don't really have the kind of wide out talent that we've been, well, frankly, uh, blessed to see. Like Jalen Waddle, 
Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy. I We keep going down the line of just guys they've had. And that's where I talk about John Mechie and Jameson Williams. Ja'Cory Brooks is good. I'm not, not denigrating any of those guys. I'm saying that it's just a little bit different. Plus, Bryce is doing this thing that's really starting to get on my nerves where he holds the ball. So I'm hearing people talk more and more about the hits he's taking. I'm going to throw the ball away or make your read. But it's also that some of that's about line play. But the longer you hold the ball, the less that's on the line. You get two, sixes, two seconds to throw the football. After that, you're on your own. You keep getting hit like that, you're going to keep getting injured like you've been injured, all right? Everybody knew who's going to wake up this morning bruised and hurting, but still in my Heisman race because, well, he's the reigning Heisman winner. This is their first loss of the season, first loss since the national championship game, and they still have a road to the SEC championships, just the West is very tough. Number four, I got Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. All right, this one is for which... We have to give somebody at Georgia a Heisman Trophy vote, and we usually give that to the quarterback if the running back is not having the kind of season that is, well, memorable, right? And they have a platoon schedule at Georgia where they're handing the ball to three, four different dudes because they got three, four for different dudes. Also, shout out to Eric Gilbert, who got his first catch and first TD against Vanderbilt. Very high on that dude. Very excited to see him playing good football. And now sets a bit has that guy as a weapon. But apart from that, Bennett has thrown 300 or three 300-yard passing games. He's had four games of 70% completion rate or better. I think a couple of those are even 80. And he's over 2,000 yards passing, seven games in, seven TDs to one INT. But, you know, he ain't the dude that they're looking to to go punch the ball in. They're handing that to the tailbacks. Best player-ish. Best, mm, let's call it the most well-known player on the best team in the SEC. Not named Tennessee. Let's go with those all those qualifiers because it feels like Georgia ought to give its Heisman Trophy to Kirby Smart. You know, like it's the Heisman. It's just kind of weird in this because none of these lists that I get to make really consider defensive players after you know six weeks. We just forget about them. Doesn't matter what they're doing. Who's the best offensive player you got? Quarterback? Cool. Let's go with that. But don't have to pick a quarterback for number three. Number three, very clear to me. Michigan running back Blake Corum. All right. Blake the Great, as we have been calling him. Let me put it this way. What if I told you we haven't seen the best Blake Corum yet? What if I told you he showed he still got juice left that he didn't use from 2021 that he could still use in 2022? And the way I get at this is in 2021, Blake Corum rushed for 952 yards in 12 games. Okay, that's behind Hassan Haskins, who was the bell cow back. He had 144 rush attempts last year, averaged about 6.6 yards per carry. This year, he's rushed for 901. Seems like a lot, right? Through seven games. But he's had 146 rush attempts. So think about that. He was a better tailback if we're talking about carries and we're talking about yardage last year as the spellback than he has been this year on one of the four best teams in college football. What I'm saying is, he's still got another level. This isn't even his final form. And now that everybody knows that Donovan Do-Everything Edwards is also in the mix, this is going to be a lot of fun. As J.J. McCarthy just, you know, don't throw the ball when you shouldn't throw the ball. That's about what it is right now, because the talent's going to be there. It's a good football team, and I'm excited for them. Lake Corn for me right now, he's the best player on that really great football team. Number two on the list for me, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, three 300-yard passing games, yada, yada, 15 TDs to just the one interception that he's thrown 
since November 13, 2021. But he's also got three ranked wins, and he's got the best win all season. All right? All season. You got Alabama on your resume as a win. As a matter of fact, I'm watching the broadcast, and I hear Heath Schuler's name, and I'm going, Lord, what year is it? Are we about to start talking about T. Martin here? Is that where we're going? And we should, because Tennessee, last time they looked to be this good, was playing for national championships, all right? Now I got producer Cat probably, uh, if I have my IFE in here going, don't jinx me. Why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me, RJ? I'm going, no, no, no. This is who it is now. Like, Tennessee, you're having an Oklahoma experience. Congratulations. Everybody's looking at you now, baby. Everybody's rooting for you. You done done the thing. Now you got to finish the thing, okay? I'm so here for this Rocky Top. It's going to be so much fun because y'all get down is unlike anybody else's get down. I'm watching y'all carry out goalposts, and then I'm watching the university say, hey, y'all want to give us some money for these goalposts? I can't wait to see what other stories come out of the University of Tennessee. Number one, C.J. Stroud. Yes, of course. Look, the way I put it this year, C.J. Stroud has thrown for 10.9 yards per attempt this year, okay? Last year, he threw 44 touchdowns, just six interceptions, had over 4,400 yards passing, and he threw for 10.1 yards per attempt. Now, he had over 400 pass attempts last year. I don't think he's going to get to that this year because he's only had 160 through six games so far because he gets the hook because they go up. But he's had three performances where he's got six TDs, six passing TDs. In a single game, three times. It's his Heisman Trophy if he just keeps this up. Now, keeping that up also means you got to beat Michigan in the game. And it would be very helpful to you if you were undefeated at the time that you did it. All right. That is my Heisman contenders list. Something else I'm kind of trying to introduce here because I read the comments and I see uh, the tweets. And I'm also not about this uh, getting it wrong life. So this is more for me than it is for you, but everybody seems to enjoy it, so we're going to do it. Michigan rushed for 418 yards, not 396. 396 gets stuck in my brain because I saw it on the broadcast and I didn't go check the final stat. That's on me. Over 400 yards rushing for Michigan. Don't let me short you. Thank you for calling me out. Tennessee, I don't know when I said this, but apparently I did, is in the SEC East. I have somehow put them in the SEC West. That's on me. Maybe it's that they play Alabama every single year. It gets me tripped up. But they also got to play Florida. They also got to play Georgia. They also got to play Kentucky. Like, there's there's a run here for Tennessee to get through, even in the SEC East, because the crossers always seem to just hate them. Like, their crossers this year, I believe Alabama and LSU. Whatever. All right. If you see corrections, please put them in the YouTube comments. I'm checking. Put them on the tweets. You don't have to be mean about it, but know that I am paying attention and it's not my job to get things wrong. It's my job to get things right. And I appreciate you listening to the show and keeping me honest. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, who's been on rock and roll of duty with me. Ride or die. Between Kat and Tyler, it's been ride or die for half a season. Okay? It's just been like that. Meaning... My thanks to senior producer, Catherine Donnelly, who for the rest of this year, I beat Alabama. That leads to lead every single conversation ever. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Wednesday. Deuces.